Napa know-how. It takes a lot to get excited about a bag, but most bags can't save you 20% on auto parts. That's 20% off headlamps, 20% off oil filters, 20% off virtually anything you can fit inside the 99-cent Napa reusable bag. So tell your buddies, there's a bag they just have to check out. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa Auto Parts stores while supplies last. Minimum three items. Exclusions apply. Offer ends 10-31-17. You are locked on, locked on, locked on Hornets. Your daily Charlotte Hornets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Welcome in, it's Hornets Talk for the Hardcore Fan. It's Locked on Hornets, coming to you from the Gitterber.com studios in BEA, beautiful Uptown Charlotte. I'm Doug Branson, and via the miracle of telephone technology, he watched Joel Embiid last night and once again trust the process, David Walker. All hail that process, Doug. I knew, I knew it would come around. It was just, it was amazing watching Joel Embiid. Uh, he got a huge block on Jalen Brown, play, the 76ers playing the Celtics last night. He almost hit a three, foot was slightly on the line, but it's just, it's, it's crazy to see a guy his size be as agile as he is and have the shooting ability that he has. It, 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 it sort of, if you're a Sixers fan, it has to, at least soothe a little bit of the wound that that you suffered when uh, Ben Simmons uh, had the uh, the foot fracture. Ugh. Yeah, again, it's you know it's, it's preseason, but uh, certainly some stuff to look forward to more than they've had. I mean, yeah, gosh, how, pre- how long have they been waiting on a beat through three years? Right, preseason is all about hope. That's that's all. Mm-hmm. I mean, you because you really can't you can't take a lot away from it in terms of how they they will play, you know, throughout the entire season. But it, but it's all about hope with with these young guys. And also, I, I got a chance to watch Kevin Durant last night in the Warriors. I mean, uh, they, the, first he's, of all, I heard he's good. Yeah, he's pretty good. He's pretty good. The Warriors are pretty good. They, they I think they beat the Clippers by a thousand. Uh, but Kevin they were Durant, about fifty. They're about fifty in the third. It's 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 outstanding. I mean, Kevin Durant is a a matchup nightmare on that team. Uh, he because they tried to switch Kevin Durant a few times, and and he ended up on DeAndre Jordan. And both the, of those guys are are seven feet tall. But mm-hmm. you know, one of one of those guys and Kevin Durant plays like a guard. Um, it's just, it, what do you, I don't know how you guard that team, David. I don't know. I mean, I don't know either. I the, mean, that's the problem, right? They're, they're running sets. They're running like half court sets while Andre Iguodala is still behind the half court line, bringing the ball up. And, and then, and you know, of course they, they get away with like an illegal ass screen from Draymond Green because even the refs can't help but sit back and, and watch all of that talent. But I mean, they're, they, they, in the preseason, David, and with a a superstar talent and Kevin Durant having to find a way to fit in with this team, they already look outstanding. They already look like they are in midseason form. I mean, that's a scary team. That's terrifying. And again, it is preseason. But do you think they could just fall back into? Uh, you think they could just back their way into seventy wins? Well, I mean, the way they played last uh, night, right? Well, with the way they played last night, and and you just again, how you have to. 
it's not just about picking your poison because you can't. You, there's, there are too many poisons on that team. But if you just tried to guard them as best you can, you know, they still have three, four players that have, you know, better than <clears throat> probably better than 60% odds of knocking down, <laughs> knocking down a three yeah. like or knocking down yeah. some kind of basket. I mean, it's, it's, it's outstanding. All right. So, uh, I'm just glad the NBA is back, David. I was, I was up at like 1145 last night watching uh, yeah. professional basketball and I have yeah. zero regrets. Uh, we are part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Panthers fans head to iTunes after the show. Subscribe to the Locked On Panthers podcast. NBA fans, make sure to check out Locked On NBA. We have a few clips coming up from their latest episode. Host David Locke takes you through everything you need to know about the NBA. It's a great show. If you have a question, a comment, or you want to sponsor the show, email us at buzzbuzz at lockedonhornets.com. Okay, I mentioned those Locked On NBA clips. We've got a couple of clips. I've been listening to a few shows. David, you've been listening to a few shows. You pointed uh, me to a clip from Jim Rome's latest show uh, yesterday where he had Steve Clifford on, and Clifford has been speaking freely about this, not really just about the battle for that five spot for the center position between Roy Hibbert and Cody Zeller, but he has talked a lot, <clears throat> excuse me, a lot about Roy Hibbert and what Roy Hibbert uh, could possibly bring to this Charlotte Hornets roster. Uh, here's what he had to say on Jim Rome's show about bringing Roy Hibbert into the fold. We've actually went back and we watched a lot of film, uh, and I don't see physically that he's any different than he was in Indiana. Uh, I think that, as you know, sometimes guys can you know, kind of forget how they got there or lose their way a little bit. And maybe that's happened with him. Uh, I think that he does, as we've told him, he's got to get his edge back. But I think that he's hungry to prove to people that he can play at that level again. And then I think also his relationship with Patrick Ewing will be a big factor in that. So, David, there's head coach Steve Clifford on Jim Rome's show. Again, saying some similar things that we heard on media day and in practices that they don't feel like Roy Hibbert's issues are, are physical or, or maybe even, I mean, when you look back at the tape of him in Los Angeles, I don't see anything in terms of, of technique. It just seems like there is a little bit, as he put it, a lost edge, a lost aggressiveness that made him a force defensively when he played in Indiana that that was missing in Los Angeles where you know he was only able to record uh, not even half a steal and um, 1.4 blocks in 23 minutes of, of play averaging that last season for Los Angeles so you know just trying and we've seen this with Jeremy Lin and Marvin Williams and different reclamation projects of Hornets past guys that just need to refine their passion for the game, their love of the game, and they've been able to do that in Charlotte. And the question is, can Roy Hibbert do that now? Right, and actually Jim Rohn mentioned Jeremy Lin and some of the comments he made recently about Steve Clifford and his time in Charlotte and just what a, a rejuvenating experience it was for Jeremy Lin, which as a Hornets fan is great to hear because it's what we've been talking about a little bit over this uh, offseason season. These, these reclamation projects that they're finding guys that maybe had a down year and for whatever reason, you know, find their groove again uh, or give them an opportunity to find their groove again here in Charlotte. And that's one point to it, right? I mean, that's that's exciting. And you like to hear that from Lynn, especially, who 
sounded like he was really down and out after ironically coming from the Lakers as well, where Hebert came from. Um, yeah, weird, and, right? And, and, yeah. <laughs> and, and, uh, and Clifford mentioned that, you know, that he's got to find his edge. And he also mentioned that it's, it's a good matchup for both because, you know, there's, there's obviously something for Hibbert to prove. And the better he plays, the only, you know, the, the better it's going to be for the Charlotte Hornets. So I think it's interesting. He also mentioned, Doug, I, we hadn't really thought about this. Uh, you know, maybe it's because Cody Zeller, we kind of penciled him in as that starter. But if you put Hibbert back there, I mean, after Biombo, can you think of another legit rim protector? And I would even put Hibbert above Biombo where he was. In Charlotte, but I mean another rim protector that's been the back line of that defense for for Clifford's Hornets. I don't think he's had one. No, I mean I I, I can't think of uh, well, no, not really. I was going yeah. to say I was I going mean, to not, I was going to throw Jeff Adrian out there, but I don't know. He was yeah, more of a starter. He was, he was not, more of yeah, a rebounder not level. No, not starter right. level. I, no, yeah. So he hasn't had that. Jefferson, yeah, and Al Jefferson is not that guy. He's a different type of guy. Was effective in other ways, but not on the defensive end. Certainly not as a rim protector. And and that's not really Cody Zeller's game either. So he talked about that in conjunction with having MKG back, you know, and and the impact that could have on this team defensively. And that's something we hadn't discussed a lot, but which is obviously something they're looking for out of having those two guys on the floor together, which I think is very interesting if they think that that impact on defense can even amp them up from last year, then that's going to be, that's going to be a step up for this team. Well, and, and their goal, they've already stated it, several uh, players and uh, Coach Clifford, they want to be a top five defensive team. Yeah. And part of that for Clifford, I think, comes from the fact that he doesn't believe that this is going to be as good of an offensive team, at least in the beginning of the year. And the mm-hmm. more I – again, I don't know – What's going to happen with that starting five position, whether it's going to eventually go to Roy Hibbert or Cody Zeller. But the more I hear Steve Clifford talk, David, if yeah, I'm if I'm yeah. a betting man, I'm putting I'm putting all the chips on Roy Hibbert because yeah, I, I feel like and you and you're exactly you hit on it. He hasn't had that type of defensive force. And again, they believe he can be that again. They're wiping away the Los Angeles year. And they think that physically he has all the tools to be the same kind of defensive force that he was in Indiana, where he was an all-star because of his defense. He he wasn't scoring 20 points a game, folks, in Indiana. I mean, he was an all-star because he changed the game for that team defensively at the rim. So, and you right. look at you look at the teams that Steve Clifford talks about uh, in terms of how he uh, molds his his entire basketball philosophy and strategy. And one of those teams he points to is that. Um, runner-up team that uh, he coached in Orlando with uh, Stan Van Gundy. And that had Dwight Howard anchoring the perimeter defense, or excuse me, the uh, the interior defense. And so I think that Steve Clifford certainly believes that having that rim protection, especially if you have uh, wing defenders who can, who can match up, is, is a huge strength. In, in this modern NBA. And, and I think he wants to recreate that with, with Roy Hibbert. Yeah. It sounds like he sounds excited about having Hibbert in there. Doesn't he? I mean, I'm with you. Like the more you hear him talk about it, the more you think that he's just chomping at the bit to have that five out there with a big guy like Hibbert back there. And I mean, gosh, you put MJ, MKG out there. Right. And the stuff he was able to do with his team last year on defense without either one of them, uh, it does get you a little excited from that standpoint. Well, the Holy grail 
in terms of defensive philosophy right now is trying to find a way to protect the rim and do something to discourage the three-point shooting of your opponent because <clears throat> excuse me a, a three-point shooting is is the dominant offensive tool right now so if you can protect easy points at the basket through transition defense and interior defense and uh, discourage your opponent from shooting three-pointers then then you're the golden state warriors then you figured it out and, right. and it's just about finding that personnel that's willing to commit to doing that that was the subject of of the latest episode of Locked on NBA with host David Locke. His guest was certified SBG smart basketball guy, ESPN's Kevin Pelton. They were having a larger discussion on this whole idea of can you protect the rim and protect the three-point line? And and Roy Hibbert's name came up in this discussion. Let's take a listen. Is there a correlation, I've never run this, between those teams that really defend the rim and those teams that allow threes? Or are you capable of doing both? The Spurs, the Hawks, the Knicks, the Blazers, the Heat, and the Thunder were the six teams. I like to do six, by the way, because that's 20%. That defended the rim the best. Now, just percentage-wise, not necessarily attempts. Uh, the Spurs, I believe, were dramatically better than anyone else. Is there any... Is, is there a yin for a yang, as coaches like to believe? No, the Cavaliers allowed the fewest shots at the rim of any team in the league last year. Um, is there any yin for a yang here? Right, really. Uh, I, you know, I don't think there necessarily is, and here's why: is because, well, because of the fact that I think sometimes when you have the great rim protector who can protect the rim, it also allows you to stay home. So that's where I think of like Indiana in their heyday under Frank Vogel. They were so comfortable with Roy Hibbert just sweeping up basically any penetration that everyone else was able to stay home and that's why they were able to defend both the rim and the three so there's uh, again kevin pelton from espn was the guest on locked on nba you definitely want to check that uh, show out we'll have another clip coming up from that show another interesting little fold uh, about nba defense but you saw this with miami last season against the hornets in the playoffs because they had that amazing rim protector in uh white side in Hassan Whiteside, thank you. Um they they were able to stay home on all of the perimeter threats that the Hornets wanted to throw out and they gave up you have to give up certain things and they they talk about that in the episode as well. Definitely go to go take a listen. Uh but you have to give up certain things in the mid range or or possibly uh, if you're able to pull that rim defender out, then you're going to give some things up at the rim. But you are able to try to take away the three-point shot. Indiana was able to do that as well when Roy Hibbert was in his prime. And I think that's that's the idea that Charlotte wants to pursue this season, or they certainly have the option to pursue that this season. Whereas in previous seasons, because they had Al Jefferson at the center position, they had to resort to sagging back and, and trying to, to run out as best they could on three-point shots. But, but you know, you're, you're going to give up something there. I have a few stats, David. The Hornets last season were third in the league in opponents' points in the paint at 40 per game. So they were third best at preventing points in the paint. But a lot of that had to do with their transition defense. They weren't giving up easy baskets mm-hmm. in transition. 15th in opponent field goal percentage from five feet or less at 58%. So, again, you know, the field goal percentage at the rim – uh, they were about middle of the road. So they still had struggles uh, defending uh, that, that field goal percentage 
in that restricted area. Opponents shot almost 35% from the three-point line versus the Hornets last season. That was good for 14th in the league. So again, balance, middle. They were trying to find some balance between three-point shooting and and rim protection because I think they had a lack of personnel to to defend the rim the way you you need to in the half court. And opponents took 25.4 threes per game. That was good for eighth. So, and and that's not good because that means that a lot of teams were taking three point shots against the Hornets. And they they you know may not have been the best looks, but they were taking a lot of them because they were available. Because again, the Hornets defense was focused was was uh, you know not as aggressive as other teams because they were focused on as a team defending the rim. That could be there could be a whole different dynamic now with Roy Hibbert. Yeah, it could be, and this all depends, right? If he can get back to that Indiana style, or not style of play, but his play, uh, his level of play in Indiana, right? I mean, that's what we we don't know. I mean, we think physically, like Clifford said, he's he's there, and they didn't see any differences. But it's been a few years, right, Duck? I mean, uh, you know, so that's that's the caveat, I guess. But as long as he can get there, then they've got a shot to be be a good defensive team again. I think they'll be a good defensive team regardless, just because Clifford is there. But uh, but that's still the unknown. I mean, right? Like we're not we're not putting it out there saying Hibbert's back. <laughs> Obviously, we have, we haven't. I haven't even seen him play. You may have seen him play a little bit well, the other night. But, but that's you, the caveat. No, you bring up a good point because you know in that Jim Rome interview, Steve Clifford brought up Marvin Williams and Jeremy Lin in the same breath in terms of players that got to the organization, committed to. Uh, playing better and then played better but you have to remember Mm -hmm. that it took Marvin Williams two seasons he didn't come in and and have an immediate impact he only averaged seven points a game he was a really quiet offensive force for uh, Mm -hmm. Charlotte in that first season so it took him another season to really put it together whereas Jeremy Lin came in and immediately found gold so when you look at Roy Hibbert and you look at Marco Bellinelli, you ask yourself, okay, is it going to take them some time? I mean, with Roy Hibbert, he only has a year in Charlotte. And right. maybe that's why they decide to go. Maybe that's one of the factors that goes into giving these guys short-term deals because you, you put these guys in a situation where it's like immediately put up or shut up. And, and you, know, you don't have time to, to find your way. You, you, you know, if you're Roy Hibbert, you've got a year to prove – that you can yeah. do this, and then you're back on the market. So, yeah, again, it's not a bold, it's not a great long-term strategy for a franchise because it puts you year after year in a situation where you have to uh, battle for players, but it, it incentivizes players to play at their absolute best in that particular season. So, yeah, yeah, you can fill some holes around your core, you know, and, and, and then try and buy some time, for lack of a better term, but yeah. Um, and Marco Bellinelli too, right? I mean, off a trade, but I think what has he got? One, maybe two years left on his contract. Yeah, I, I think it was a three-year deal yep. that he signed with Sacramento, so he played out one. Right. This will be year two, yeah, and then one more. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I got yeah. one more clip from that Locked On NBA show with uh, David Locke and Kevin Pelton, where they talked about where uh, where team defense or where uh, team offense might go in terms of battling this trend in the NBA of switching defenses of teams that one through four decide to switch all ball screens. Uh, And you've seen this a lot with the, with the golden state warriors because they have defenders 
at the point guard, shooting guard, small forward, power forward that can really guard one through four. So they just decide to switch all ball screens. So it really takes away uh, a lot of what you can do in pick and roll. Let's take a listen to to that. I've been at jazz training camp every day. The amount of plays that I have seen implemented based on switching defenses, right? So that's what every coach in this league has done. It's now changed offenses and switch to figure out how to deal with switching. So if you talk about these two combating forces, what is the skill and what, who's the player? What is the player that becomes more valuable? If everyone's going to switch, because that's really where everyone's going, everyone's going to switch and play, maybe small to switch. What are the skill sets that become more valuable now if everyone's switching? Well, then it's the ability to create a shot one-on-one against with a slight mismatch. Because now what you're doing is, you know, even though you're staying out of rotation, what I'm giving up by switching is that all of a sudden, if I have one guy who's a wing stopper defensively, you know, that guy now is not going to be on the opponent's best player because I've switched him off, probably. So now if you've got that guy who can get a shot one-on-one, whether it's in the post or off the dribble, that guy has a more favorable matchup. Okay, David. So again, the trend for defense, it's all about action and reaction in the NBA. And we've seen these trends away from two bigs to more smaller, agile lineups with with uh, uh, fours that can stretch the floor and hit three-pointers. And that's resulted in a lot of defenses deciding to find players that can switch screens because the NBA is pick-and-roll dominant. And now we may be seeing a reaction back against those switching defenses to offenses that have uh, players that can go one-on-one in isolation. And so immediately, David, when I hear that, I think, well, I mean, you know, Kimba Walker and ISO – Nick Batum in isolation, uh, possibly MKG because he's so quick and can get to the basket. If he switched on a bigger guy, you know he's agile enough to get by that player and finish through contact. I went back yep. though. I looked last season at Nicholas Batum's isolation numbers. Uh, he was definitely the player that they looked to most to get those ISO looks. Nine point three percent frequency was the highest on the team for Nick Batum but only a 0.75 point per possession on those ISO looks. And, I mean, you compare that to a guy like Isaiah Thomas, who is 0.97, a Blake Griffin, who is a a 1.05 points per possession in those isolation looks. And so you have to say, okay, if Nick Batum, can he be that guy? Certainly. He has the physical tools. He has the moves. He's got that turnaround jump shot. He can back a guy down. He has the size to shoot over a smaller defender and the quickness to get by a bigger defender, a slower defender. But uh, his points per possession numbers, not as good as they need to be in isolation if if that's a, a strategy that they want to pursue. Here's one guy that I think, maybe not this season, it's probably going to take another year or two but Frank Kaminsky, I think, is a guy that you could possibly see in that Kevin Pelton described role of a player that uh, can create some mismatch issues because of his height and because of his quickness and because of the skills that he that he's shown flashes of offensively in the post. I think he's a guy that you could find, you know, getting Frank Kaminsky on a guy like Justice Winslow or, you know, a smaller uh, defensive wing stopper. You know, if Frank Kaminsky can get that guy back down, he had a .92 points per possession uh, on the isolation looks that he got last season. Didn't get a lot of them, 
but it was you know it was a good look for him when he did because we, and we saw it several times. He was able to use spin moves, hesitations to get either get by his defender or or get a decent shot look. So I think just looking into the future, Frank Kaminsky could be that offensive weapon for the Hornets if he continues to develop. And he's another guy that Steve Clifford has mentioned in the preseason, and in particular on that Jim Rome interview as someone they're looking to have step up and improve and take another uh, jump forward this year to help the team out. So, I mean, you never know. They may be looking for it more uh, you know, sooner than we think. That's, that's a, another huge question for this team uh, because uh, just based on what we've seen from Frank so far, but they're definitely going to look for him to do that. And, you know, you're right, Doug. I think he's got the ability, right, with his height uh, and his ability to shoot and, and make offensive moves to be that guy uh, in certain mismatches. So it's something they'll be looking for, I think. And if Frank can do that, that's just going to add more to this team, maybe push himself closer to those starter minutes. I think he's certainly going to get plenty of time out there to prove himself. Um, but again, another question we just don't know the answer to right now. Yeah, and Kimba Walker, I mentioned him, 7.7% frequency. That was good for second on the team uh, in isolation looks, 0.72, so just right below uh, Nicholas Batum in terms of points per possession. Um, and But Kimba Walker, 13.8% free throw frequency. So when he was able to get those ISO looks, you know, you know that Kimball Walker has a, an array of dribble moves that allow him to get to the basket and get fouled. He did that, yeah. and, and so that's one of his strengths. But I think both of those guys have to improve their ability uh, to in those isolation looks. And, and sir, this is not an ISO team. Let me just say that. The Hornets are not uh, ISO built. But it, when you're battling in the playoffs against those teams that want to stay home and against those teams that are switching, that's when you have to step up your isolation game. Yeah, and that's what they were missing, especially down the stretch against the Heat. And that's what I was kind of clamoring for in this offseason. Uh, they had other priorities, you know, but that was the biggest thing that stood out to me is they need a shot maker or someone that could just get his own shot, you know, play that ISO ball that you've been talking about. And and they really don't have that. I mean, if we're going to be honest, they, you know, they don't have one of those guys with the upper echelon. I mean, Kemba, yeah, but his height puts him at a disadvantage in so many situations. So that's something they have to continue to look to add, I think. I mean, just in today's NBA, if you don't have a guy that you can just give it to and, and, and say, go get it, like a Dwayne Wade or something like that. I mean, great example, top you know, top five-point uh, shooting guard of all time. But um, that, that's something they're missing, Doug, and a big concern, I think. You can hide it over the course of a season and work things out. But like you said, in the playoffs especially, and we saw it against the Heat again, they just didn't have someone that could go do that when they needed it. Well, David, we mentioned Frank Kaminsky and the skill set that he shows on offense and could show this season in the post. Uh, one skill that he has that maybe people don't know about is asking questions on Twitter. Yeah, that's right. It's time for Frank Kaminsky asking questions on Twitter. Hey, at Brad Bird A113, can you pretty, pretty, pretty please make an Iron Giant 2? I believe that's director Brad Bird, uh, movie director. So, David, that's a great question. <laughs> Frank Kaminsky, he just, he just, it's a talent that he has. He just asks random questions on Twitter. 
uh, wants uh, Brad Bird to make an Iron Giant 2. Hey, D- D- David, what cartoon movie do you want to see get a reboot or a sequel? See, I feel like the cartoon movie boom came along a little too late for me, Doug. Um, I was trying, I was racking my brain over this cartoon But you had movie. classics that you watched. What, I mean, what, like, what did you watch? Is it, were you watching Godfather as a kid? Like, or, I mean, were you getting, <laughs> what the hell? Maybe, maybe, maybe. You had uh, cartoon movies. Yeah, we had cartoon movies like the, the Robin Hood, like the, the Fox movie. Did you ever watch that? I think that's a Disney movie. I'm not yeah. sure. So you want? Okay, so that that that's probably that's going to be your pick? the one that I remember the most. Yeah, sure. Why not? Yeah, I, or the Godfather. I, I, I'm pretty one. sure Robin Hood has been remade a few times, but okay, we'll take okay, it. Okay, well, you asked me for a pick, and then you criticize it. That's fun. All right, <laughs> mine's easy, David. Flintstones meet the Jetsons. 1987. Yeah. I wasn't born yet, but somehow I watched the movie. I don't know what that's about. It's it's like you know you can watch movies even after they've been created. Um. Flintstones beat the Jetsons. A lot of unanswered questions in that movie. Not a lot of people understand this. They watch that movie, they think it's okay, but here's the thing. So in this movie, quick plot breakdown, Flintstones end up in the future with the Jetsons by the end of the movie. Uh, Spoiler alert, they get back to the Stone Age, but they get back because the Flintstones car is now a time machine. And and so now the, the... and. At the beginning of the movie, Fred Flintstone loses his job, and he doesn't really get his job back at any point in the movie. So by the end, he now has a car that it's a time machine, and he goes back to a past where he doesn't have a job. And I feel like that's going to put him in a desperate situation where he may use that time machine to his advantage. And 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 how does that affect the future? There's some butterfly effecting going on all throughout this movie. The timeline is really in flux, and and I just want to see a Jets, uh, a Flintstones meet the Jetsons too, because there are. So he didn't go back. He didn't go back far enough to where he still had the job. What well, I, I think. Well, that's the thing. I think there are a lot of avenues they could explore with a sequel uh, to to Flintstones meet the Jetsons. Because this movie ends in, in, in such a way that I feel like I really, I question the whole Hanna-Barbera universe. I just don't know. The whole thing is put in flux for me. So. Wow. Well, I just blew, I just blew your, I just blew your mind. Did you ever watch that movie? No. Do it. Do it. I've seen plenty of time travel movies though. And this one sounds like it has a lot of holes to your, to your point. Right. I'm just saying they didn't really think this 1987 VHS cartoon movie out very much. And I want to see where, where they can take it. All right. That's enough from us. Thanks for listening to locked on Hornets here on the locked on podcast network. Follow us on Twitter at locked on Hornets, subscribe to us on iTunes. And while you're there, give us a five-star review, help hardcore Hornets fans like yourself. Find this podcast, shoot us your Hornets questions, your thoughts, buzz buzz at locked That's the email. We're back tomorrow. Previewing the Hornets matchup against the Boston Celtics in Greensboro. For David, I'm Doug. Go Hornets. Go America. Let's swarm Charlotte. So what if I like to stay up late and watch TV? Don't blame it on caffeine and then go to Coke and Pepsi. Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. 
There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details.